0: Welcome to the Soul Sessions podcast, deep dive into the causes and real issues underlying addiction, codependency, emotional eating, weight concerns, and the trance of unworthiness. Tune in weekly to befriend, nourish, and heal body, feelings, mind, and soul. And now, your host, soul-centered psychotherapist, trauma expert, and mind-body eating coach,
1: Jody Gale. Welcome to the Soul Sessions with Jodie Gale podcast. I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which my office is based and across which we virtually meet, and pay my respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. I extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening to this podcast. Today, my guest is Dr. Janice Webb, and we are going to be talking about childhood emotional neglect. Janice is a licensed psychologist, speaker, blogger, and best-selling author of two books. Recognised worldwide as the pioneer of childhood emotional neglect, or CEN, she created the first and only online childhood emotional neglect recovery program. Janice has been interviewed about CEN on CBS Boston Evening News, NECN Morning News, and NPR. Her work has been cited by the Chicago Tribune, Psychology Today, Psych Central, and Elephant Journal. Janice also provides professional training for licensed therapists in identifying and treating CEN in their clients. Welcome, Janice. Hi, Jody. Thank you for having me on. Oh, it's my pleasure. Would you mind sharing with our audience a little bit about yourself and what led you to becoming a psychologist in your work with childhood emotional neglect?
0: Sure. Well, I think I was born a psychologist, I would have to say. It just feels like it's who I am. I've always been, even when I was young, I was fascinated by the human brain and human behavior, why people do what they do. And it was a pretty smooth path for me straight into psychology. And I've never looked back or had a moment of regret. And I enjoy it enormously So
1: did you sort of go to, so you go through high school and then you went straight to university to become a
0: psychologist? Was that your, obviously your first choice? Yes, it was. I knew when I was in college, I think I was, even when I was in high school, I wanted to be a psychologist. And I barely wavered as I went through college. I considered other possibilities, but always went back to psychology. Mm, That's amazing, isn't it? Because a lot of people who
1: find this path of, um, it's sort of often a second career, I find, with a lot of people. So you knew right from the get-go.
0: Yes, that's true. It is the second career for a lot of people. But no, for me, it was always clear. So... For many years,
1: I had on my website that I work with women who suffer with abuse, neglect and trauma, and uh, how that presents in my practices with disordered eating and addiction, codependency. Every time I read that statement on my website, I, I thought there's something missing here, and you know, when we talk about neglectful parents, especially me as a, uh, I'm a, a foster mum, so I've got two children mm. through foster care. So mm-hmm. I tend to go to that sort of child protection and neglectful parents who perhaps can't take care of their children or who weren't able to get out of bed in the morning due to depression or an addiction. And whilst that's true for some of the women that I've worked with, it really didn't address the majority. And then I couldn't quite put my finger on it. And then I actually heard your interview on Women in Depth, and then I read your book, Mm -hmm. And the term childhood emotional neglect really spoke to me. And I was like, that's it. That's what's been missing. So can you please explain to our listeners what childhood emotional neglect actually is
0: and how does the neglect come about? Yes. So the way I define childhood emotional neglect is it happens when your parents fail to respond enough to your emotions as they raise you. So that sounds very simplified, but it really is the heart of emotional neglect. And like you, I was just seeing this pattern in clients of mine from so many different walks of life with very different adult lives and childhoods. And yet they all had this similar collection of things that they struggled with. And it was in looking for an explanation for that, it was not abuse that they all had in common, it really was. Neglect. Their mm-hmm. parents had, they'd really all just grown up in households where feelings were not a thing. They just weren't considered or talked about or addressed, if at all, either not at all or just not enough.
1: And you know, even as you're saying that, there's a lot more out there in terms of emotions these days. But I still find that this is still happening a lot now, and I guess that's because we've got, and we'll talk about this some more later. I think you know we've got children who were raised um, with emotional neglect now, parenting children as well, so it's still quite prevalent, and. In your book, Running on Empty, you give examples of different parenting styles that typically cause emotional neglect. Would you
0: share with our listeners what these parenting styles look like? Sure. There are a number of different ways that parents can end up neglecting their children. And some of them have very different intentions than others. So one, the first type that's easiest to talk about, I think, is are the struggling parents. Mm-hmm. And these are parents who are either grieving or going through a major life transition themselves while they're raising their kids. They might be going through a divorce or a death of a spouse or a death of a parent. They might be depressed. They might be struggling with an illness of some kind. They might be taking care of a family member or a child with an illness or has has special needs, or they might be just trying to put food on the table and working multiple jobs. Now, none of those things means that a parent is going to be emotionally neglectful at all. Mm -hmm. But if a parent is struggling with these things, they may just not have the bandwidth to pay attention to what their children are feeling Mm. and focus instead on behaviors and actions. So these parents are often well-meaning, but they just don't have what the child needs to give. Mm. Um, The second type are the self-involved parents, and those might be either self-involved in terms of being narcissistic, and they're too busy looking in the mirror to see their child. They could be addicted and really just trying to meet their own addictive needs, or they could be like a sociopathic type of parent who really just isn't capable of love And so, those types of parents, for obvious reasons, end up emotionally neglecting their children. Mm. And the third type is, I think, what I found to be the largest group. And they are the well meaning but neglected themselves parents. I call them the WMBNT type for short. And they are parents who really want to give their children the right things and provide for them materially as best they can and are trying, but they themselves grew up. Emotionally neglected. So they were raised by parents who were blind to their emotions. Mm. So they grew up with a blind spot to their own emotions. So therefore, they are blind to their children's emotions. And this is how emotional neglect gets transferred through generations, very silently, you know, unaware with no one realizing it.
1: And I just want to come back to narcissistic parents because I find with people with eating issues in particular over the years, I only work with women, but I've I've had a lot of clients who I would say that have come from a family where there's been a narcissistic parent and you've put that in the same category as sociopathic. And that that sounds a bit scary, (laughs) but can you say a little bit more about what that actually is? Just, I don't think we've talked about narcissism on the podcast before.
0: Oh, Okay. Well, narcissism is a type of personality in which, so talking about it in terms of a parent, a narcissistic parent has actually very low Mm self-esteem, but they appear to have very high self-esteem because they very much need to be in the limelight and they're very focused on their own needs. So they really aren't capable because of the level of their personality development they really are not very capable of seeing their child as a separate person. So in their minds, their child is a way to get their own needs met. So narcissistic parents are much more likely to press their children to do things that are rewarding for the parent, as opposed to observing who the child really is and trying to make sure that child gets fulfilled based on who the child is.
1: It's all about the parents' needs rather than the child's needs. Sadly. Um, which is really prevalent in people with eating issues because we know that with food, using food, it's often around a lack of, you know, not being able to ask for what you need and using food to fill needs and feelings. So,
0: yeah, I think another way to think about that, how I think about it, is mm-hmm. that narcissistic parents, by ignoring the child and who the child really is, emotionally, which is the deepest expression of who we are is our feelings. Mm. So when a child's feelings are ignored by the parent, then if you're not aware, if you learn how to push your feelings away as a child, because they're not um, tolerated by your parent, you lose access to them. Mm. And if you've lost full access to your own feelings, you end up using food then to fill that empty space. That is where your feelings should be and to manage your feelings.
1: Yeah. I think I heard on another interview you said around the kinds of parents. So we're talking about the traits, but what what kinds of people neglect their children? A
0: lot of neglectful parents are just really good people. Yeah. Believe me, I have met so many um, people who are parents themselves and have grown up emotionally neglected and most of that the huge majority are what i call the well-meaning but neglected themselves Mm. people who really want to do right by their children and give them everything but you can't give your children something you're so unaware of because you don't even have it yourself so that's the most common type in my experience yeah mine too I know
1: by now, because I know this comes up again and again and again in therapy, some of our listeners are going to be feeling very uncomfortable with our discussion. And I think particularly in the eating disorder field as well, and I'm not sure if it's the same where you are, but um, a few years ago, I went to an eating disorder conference and every single presentation over the four days was about sort of family-based therapy CBT. There wasn't anything there on trauma or early, of course, nothing on childhood emotional neglect and a lot about genetic research around eating disorders. And it's kind of a bit taboo over here and especially in Australia, I think, to talk about parenting as a cause or as part of the cause. And so I'm imagining that people listening might be having some quite strong reactions to what we're talking about. So Mm -hmm. what would you say about that? So both people suffering and Parents of people suffering.
0: I think that it's the same here, and I think it's just because parenting is such an incredibly complex, really almost impossible task. Um, you know what is that old saying? There are a million ways to raise a child wrong, and only one <laughs> way to raise a child right. Yeah. And we all end up doing it wrong. Let's face it. I'm a parent myself, and most of the mistakes that I talk about. I've made myself. Me too. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) because parents are human beings and we all come from where we come from. And it's very scary and very hard to admit to ourselves how important we are to our kids. Mm. But the reality is, and research shows this, attachment research, there's been so much of it Mm. that proves that the way we treat our children is how they'll treat themselves. And as hard as that is to accept when you're a parent, because it's not comfortable having that much power. But I think the more that we can try to absorb that and live by it, the better kind of parent will be. And so even though it's been a painful process for me as a parent to accept this and you know see the mistakes I've made, I still feel a responsibility to help other people see that and forgive themselves. And one of the things that is so important about childhood emotional neglect is that there really isn't a culprit. It's so silent. And unless you have a parent who was purposely doing this for whatever reason, Mm -hmm. whether it's from being self-involved or whatever, those parents we can blame, but the, enormous majority of emotionally neglectful parents didn't choose it at all and didn't want to hurt their children, wanted the opposite and really don't deserve blame. So this is not about blame. It's about understanding. Mm. That's it. Yeah. And what
1: happens to the child in terms of blame? I find that they often blame themselves, especially I find this more with actually anorexia than than with other eating issues. They tend to not want to go anywhere near sometimes talking about their parents in this way that mum or dad could have done anything sort of neglectful
0: or wrong. Yes, self-blame is a prime part of how emotional neglect affects people. And the way that I understand it is that If you grow up with parents who are doing their best, yet they're not attending to your feelings or noticing your feelings or responding to your feelings, your child brain is going to cope with that. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of like your parents are acting like your right arm doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. So you have to start hiding your right arm because you start to feel kind of ashamed of it. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm not supposed to have this thing. I need to get rid of it and not let people see it. So children automatically build a wall and block their feelings off, and uh, that leaves you feeling different somehow, like you're missing something. As you grow into an adult, you feel really different than other people, but you don't know why. You look at your parents and you see how, how much they gave you and what they did right for you, but childhood emotional neglect, because it's something a parent fails to do, you really can't remember it. So who are you going to blame for that? You're just going to turn it all on yourself and say, well, obviously there's something wrong with me. I'm failing myself somehow. And, you know, it's interesting to hear that anorexic people have more of that because there's an element of perfectionism in anorexia, isn't there? Yeah, there is. So it kind of all fits together.
1: Yeah. And, you know, if we think about attachment styles uh, and anorexia, it really does tend to be on that avoidant like very restrictive sort of end as well so uh, we know that that's the kind of parenting that um that 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 person's likely had so you know that in terms of the avoidant attachment relationship so uh, yes i just Mm -hmm. just want to say that too so it sounds uh, very shame inducing as well like we're going to shame when all that happens
0: oh yes Shame is another thing I see in a lot of CEN people. Mm. You know, as well as just not, if you're not raised in a house that speaks the language of feelings or acknowledges and validates feelings, you really don't learn how feelings work or that they're natural or that they matter. And you end up feeling on some level like you don't matter because your feelings don't matter and they are the deepest expression of who you are. Yeah. So with growing into adulthood, feeling like you don't matter really sets you up for a lot of these struggles. Mm. First of all, why is it important for someone to know
1: if they suffer with childhood emotional neglect?
0: Well, because it's almost like li- living with a dark cloud over you mm. for a lot of people. And it helps so, so much to know why all of your life you felt different from other people. And the way a lot of CEN, emotionally neglected people, describe the way that they feel as they go through their lives is like they're living in a black and white world and everyone else is living in color. And yet, if you don't know that there's an explanation for it, you just feel like it must be me. I'm weird, I don't know what's wrong with me. And when you get the answer, and believe me, I hear from people, so many people every day, who are relieved to finally realize that this is the thing they've been up against. It can be so validating Mm. and such a relief to finally understand what the problem has been. Mm.
1: Yeah. And it just makes so much sense. Doesn't it? especially, you know, the population that I work with, with emotional eating. I mean, when you say childhood, emotional neglect, emotional eating, it's like, of course this is what's going on here. Yes, indeed. They go together. Yeah. And so when we're talking about childhood emotional neglect and the impact that it has and um, on, on people's adult lives, or even, I guess, from teenage years, childhood, adulthood, what kind of struggles do they grow up with? We've already been talking about a couple. So we've been talking about emotional eating, eating issues. What else?
0: Yes. Essentially, it's a tendency to have to put yourself last, to focus on other people's needs before your own And to really feel reluctant or afraid to ask for help from other people. And a lot of CEN people have this deep feeling of emptiness, which I'm sure is because their feelings are cut off and your body feels that. If you don't have full access to your feelings, there's something missing and you know it. Mm -hmm. So a lot of of people who grow up this way will describe having a feeling of emptiness or they'll say I'm numb, or other people feel things and I don't seem to feel things the same way or as much. CEN people grow up to not really understand themselves all that well because they're out of tune with their feelings and that makes it hard to really know who you are, what you want. So it's just kind of a basic feeling of being one down and different, not like everyone else, and like you're not as important as everyone else. And how does
1: this then fuel, I guess, the symptoms that people come to therapy with? So if we're thinking about codependency, addiction, eating issues?
0: Well, it's interesting you mentioned codependency because childhood emotional neglect really does set people up. I don't think it's the root, I don't think it's the only cause of codependency, Sure. but it certainly is a breeding ground for codependency. Because if you feel less important than other people at the time when you are forming relationships, then you're likely to take that position in your relationships. And that is like the beginning of codependency. You know, you're more important than me. Even if you're doing something really maladaptive, I'm going to be there for you because I have empathy for you more so than for myself. It really is a setup to be codependent. I see a lot of marriage problems um, Uh because uh, our our emotions are needed for marriage, obviously, and relationships. Mm. So if your feelings are blocked off, your spouse usually notices it and will drag you to therapy potentially. Another thing is depression and anxiety. Sometimes I treat depression by helping someone try to kind of break through the wall that's blocking their feelings and feel their own feelings. And if you can do that, then it kind of breaks up that pattern of pushing all your feelings down and away so that they just sit there and weigh you down, which really is, becomes depression for a lot of people. Yeah, it's really
1: interesting to hear you say that because I certainly remember back in my own early therapy and my therapist saying to me that depression depressed feelings and it was like, oh, my God, this is so obvious.
0: (laughs) Yes, if there are things going on in your childhood home or even in your adult life that are painful or make you angry or sad or hurt. And if you're not aware enough of those feelings and dealing with them as they happen in real time, and you're just pushing them away, they're all they all just collect there and swirl together like a soup. Mm -hmm. And they sit there and weigh you down. And the less you're aware of them, the more power they have.
1: Wow. And I didn't ask you this before, but I guess then how does this show up? you know, we're talking a lot about somatic therapy at the moment, but do you notice how this, especially depression, actually how this might show up in the body? I find, you know, there's a lot of those sort of, um, is it fibromyalgia? Yeah, yeah. And do you think that there's any link there with obviously depressed feelings or childhood emotional neglect?
0: I wish I had some research to cite on this, but it just hasn't been studied yet. But I would imagine that migraines for example Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. potentially chronic fatigue back pain those three things in particular I'm quite sure could be linked to childhood emotional neglect if the studies were done
1: someone out there listening might want to to take up for a PhD or something So we're talking about how this impacts people's lives. What about when it comes to healing from this? So I know that you've written that there's three parts to early recovery, and what are these stages as you see them?
0: Well, the first and most important stage, because it builds the foundation for all the rest of the work that needs to be done to recover, and many, many people do recover from childhood emotional neglect. And I think that's one of the best things about it. Maybe the only good thing about it, let's put it that way, Mm -hmm. is that it is possible to recover from this by doing the opposite, treating yourself in the opposite way than you were treated as a child. So the first step in that is really to accept and understand that this happened to you, that this is how you grew up, that there was a key piece missing, for you and it was emotional validation and emotional responsiveness from your parents whether it was their fault or not depending on the type of parents you had is almost irrelevant because if it happened it happened and the results are there and you're living with them and um, understanding what kind of family you grew up in how they treated your feelings how you felt as a child really accepting that that emotional neglect happened to you Mm -hmm. and how is number one thing to do. Mm -hmm. And the better you're able to do that, the better you'll be able to do the following steps. Mm -hmm. Punishing you for having feelings kind of goes over, starts going more towards emotional abuse. Mm -hmm. But a lot of children just because their parents ignore their feelings leaves you with all of these effects. So really the recovery part involves what I just described in terms of accepting. Mm -hmm. And then starting to actually pay attention to your own feelings and trying to be aware when you're having a feeling and starting to learn, what does it feel like to be angry? Or am I aware when I'm angry? What does it feel like to be hurt? And am I aware when I'm hurt? And can I learn some new words to describe exactly what I'm feeling instead of just throwing them all in the same category or putting, slapping the same label on them? starting to learn about your feelings, the more you pay attention to your feelings, the more you're paying attention to your deepest self. And that's a way of honoring yourself Mm -hmm. and getting to know yourself in a very deep and meaningful way that your parents weren't able to do for you. It's very healing. You know, it can be hard, but it's definitely doable.
1: I mean, we're going to talk about the six healthy habits of people who recover and you're starting to talk about noticing and accepting your feelings there. And I guess I just want to bring in anger, too, because I think uh, I mean, my audience is women and I think for women, I don't know if this is your experience, but anger seems to be a particularly troublesome feeling, especially Mm -hmm. for women because we've mm-hmm. been told, you know, nice girls don't get angry and obviously anger can be, I mean, I guess we can um, go in with our anger or, or out and explosive. And girls in particular, it tends to be sort of more acceptable for little boys to explode rather than little girls. What's your sense of that in terms of this work?
0: I see it a lot in emotionally neglected women I see it in men also, but even more so in women. Wow. That their anger is very is suppressed so far and walled off so well that they don't really know what anger feels like. Mm. And um, that doesn't mean they don't explode sometimes because feelings that are really walled off will build and build and build and then they'll finally get strong enough to just blast through the wall and then you can just become enraged. Mm -hmm. So that happens too. But mostly people who grow up this way, if you grow up in a family that really did not allow anger, that it was too threatening to the parents or viewed as a problem or, you know, acting up as opposed to having a feeling, then that's how you'll treat your own anger. You'll feel guilty if you feel angry and maybe feel ashamed of your anger and feel like it makes you a bad person and just try to wall it off and not feel it. And you can get really good at that, not having the feeling of anger, so good at it that you don't even know what it feels like after enough time has gone by. But yeah. we do need our anger, right? Like anger yeah. is helpful.
1: Well, I'm thinking too, especially with people who are emotionally eat and binge eat, even anorexia. And I always say this to clients I've never met someone with an eating disorder that wasn't angry. And, but what they're doing is they're squashing the anger down with binge eating or with restrict, you know, like, um, and that low self-worth piece as well. I don't deserve this. So they're either restricting and punishing themselves or they're, they're binge eating and punishing themselves. So it's just so intertwined with this really repressed anger.
0: Yes. Well, that's interesting to hear. And it doesn't surprise me at all. Um, anger is a very powerful emotion. Mm. And it takes its toll. If you don't listen to it and pay attention to it, it will take itself out on you. Part of it is sort of adopting a new attitude in which you're curious about yourself and you're curious about your feelings and you want to start getting in touch with them. That goes an incredibly long way, Mm -hmm. but it's not the solution. You know, it's not the final solution. So in the book, Running on Empty, which is my first book, I described a technique called the identifying and naming technique, which is essentially without going into just to tell you generally what it is. It's um, focusing in on yourself when you're alone, closing your eyes, focusing in on your body and asking yourself, what am I feeling right now? And trying to kind of uh, tune in to something going on in your body and trying to then trying to put a name to that whatever that feeling is and every time you do that that exercise it's like you're reaching out to the walled off feelings and it takes a chip out of that wall that's blocking you Mm -hmm. so some people do that exercise for quite a while before they ever get a feeling at all but it's a matter of just continuing to do it and do it and do it and you get better and better at contacting a feeling feeling it identifying what it is and then there's more to the exercise after that but a lot of people have to work at it at contacting those feelings and feeling them
1: yeah and I guess I want to say to people you know I I certainly remember having I was I first came to being a therapist through having my own eating disorder but when you first start to feel it can actually it can be quite scary you know Mm -hmm. I, I remember that first time thinking what is going on because I was something like 27 and actually listening and paying attention to feelings for the first time in you know like 27 years i think it can be quite scary too when that first sort of comes up so do you have any advice for people if they're getting some really strong feelings
0: so for people that are scared because i encounter this all the time that's pretty much all i do in my practice right now is i treat emotional neglect and i have an online program as well and many people who are starting this process have that feeling of fear like I don't know that I want to get in touch with whatever is on the other side of that wall. Like yeah. what's there. It's yeah. very scary. But the reality is by trying to feel your feelings, you're not manufacturing feelings. You couldn't do that. If you wanted to, all you're doing is reaching out to what's already there and welcoming it. Mm-hmm. That's so a great way you're of putting that you cannot end up in worse shape than you are now <laughs> yeah. or being harmed by it any more than you are now it can only help even if the process involves some pain. Mm. That's a really
1: good point because I think when a lot of people come to therapy, they think that the therapy has caused the feeling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I never felt like this before. And it's like, well, that's because you were eating it down or you were drinking it. Yes, down or... <laughs> yes,
0: exactly.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What else do people need to do?
0: Well, I think there are a number of, things that go along with this whole process of honoring your feelings. Once you start doing that, you start getting some messages. You're receiving the messages that your body has been trying to send you for a very long time. And those messages carry all kinds of important information about you, about what you've been through, about how those things affected you. And you'll start to learn more about yourself. And learn things that you really were at sea about before, like what do I want? What makes me happy? What makes me sad? What do I need to avoid? What kinds of people do I enjoy? Who do I not enjoy being around? So, part of the process of this is starting to use your feelings to make decisions in your everyday life and starting to choose things that are best for yourself which you probably didn't even realize was an option before now. It's a process of learning to honor yourself and yeah. believing that what feels right to you is right to you as long as you process it with your brain too. And your brain also says, yes, this is good for me. This is healthy.
1: And um, you've written here around self-talk as well. Can you say more about that?
0: Yeah, self-talk is really just, it's a coping technique that can help replace the technique of basically avoiding your feelings. Mm. Self-talk is you, the adult, talking yourself through things. For an example, something that would normally make you very anxious, instead of just avoiding that, facing it and talking yourself through it, saying things like, you know, you can handle this. You've done this before. You can do it again. Mm. It's kind of the adult talking to you the way you wish your parents had talked to you. If they had really seen your feelings. Yes. Yeah, so right.
1: Talking about self-compassion there as well, aren't we? In a, in a, in a kind and compassionate tone.
0: Exactly. And supportive and encouraging yeah. the yeah. way that a parent should be talking to a child. If they see what the child is feeling.
1: What I see a lot is people going back to the source of the neglect, repeatedly looking to have their feelings validated or to be seen and heard. And, of course, the parent hasn't really changed. So we're talking about adult children of of parents Mm -hmm. here. And
0: -hmm. they
1: keep going back for more and then ending up sort of re-wounded every time they go back for some kind of emotional connection there. Do you see that? Oh, yes,
0: it's very, very, very common. In my second book, Running on Empty No More, I have Mm -hmm. a whole chapter about that because it happens so much and it's so painful. Because when you're an adult and you go to your parents for emotional support, not realizing that that's the very thing (laughs) that they've never been able to give you, it's just, it hurts over and over and over again. And it's hard to understand why that's happening unless mm. you start to see, oh, this is what's wrong in the first place. It's so painful. I, yes.
1: Yes. And I, I've got to say, even as a therapist, I've fallen victim to this over the years and thinking, Oh my God, you've done it again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I'm thinking this links in really well with the self talk piece. And it's around and I don't know if you use this term, but I work with parts. It's about reparenting oneself and talking to ourselves in the way that we needed to be talked to and soothed. And yeah, so we're being kind to it. And especially when feelings come up, sadness, it's like, oh, there, there, sweetheart. It's okay. I'm Mm -hmm. here.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I use the word reparenting all the time. I think Uh it's exactly what CEN people are doing. That's what the recovery process really is. And I'm sure you think the same way. Mm. Inside every neglected adult is a neglected child. Absolutely Who still lives there and feels that, so when you self talk you're actually also speaking to that child who didn't who didn't get that. It's very empowering and healing yeah and and when we talk about being able to
1: recover from this, I mean for me, this is you know this is the key really, isn't it, in terms of how we then begin to take care of ourselves? What about people who are so neglected
0: what would you say to them? I would say. Focus less on your behavior to start with and start focusing on your feelings. For the very reason that we've been talking about, I think if you're struggling with self-care in areas like, let's say eating, it might be because you're not taking care of yourself because you're not taking care of your feelings. Mm, And instead of just trying to change your behavior, start paying attention to your feelings. It might be a more direct route than it seems.
1: And there was just one other area that I wanted to talk about, because I think that this comes up a lot in therapy as well, and that's around setting boundaries and saying no, Mm -hmm. because you talked earlier about codependency and pleasing other people. And under every client with an eating issue that I see or an addiction, there's often that people pleaser. And at some level, they've got their worth through pleasing others. And so how do people start to say no to other people? set boundaries and what does that look like for people with CEN? Yeah,
0: that's a really great question. It's a combination of what we've been talking about starting to pay attention to your feelings and your Mm -hmm. needs is step one and learning what your needs are by listening to your feelings. So that's step one. And then step two is believing that your feelings and needs matter enough to actually be voiced. And then the next part of it is learning how to voice it. And a lot of people can do the first two, Mm. and then they get really hung up on number three, because that does involve a bunch of skills, like knowing how to say no, when it feels when your deepest self is screaming, that's wrong, you're not allowed to say no, because you have to override that voice saying that. And then Also form your words, figure out how to say it in a way that the other person can take in. And so what I recommend to a lot of people at this stage is to get a book on assertiveness and learn as much as you can about how to be assertive, because that's really what saying no and expressing yourself to other people is about. It's a bunch of skills.
1: So can you tell our listeners a little bit about your online courses? I know I have sent almost every client I've ever had to your website. It's uh, full of resources and I think there's even some free resources there, but yes. Can you tell people about your online offerings?
0: Yeah. Well, thank you for sending people to my website. And yeah, there are a lot of resources there. Um, So there are free videos to watch um, that that are very, very informative about childhood emotional neglect and how it happens and how it plays out over your lifetime. And um, then in addition to that, I have a program called Fuel Up for Life that consists of five modules and um, biweekly Q&A group calls with me and then also an online support forum that is uh, an ongoing program. Once you join, you're a member for as long as you want to be. And uh, it's really set up to literally walk people through the stages of CEN recovery. And then the other resource that is on my website is the Emotional Neglect Questionnaire, which is a 22-question yes-no test to take that since most people can't remember CEN happening to them, it's Mm -hmm. really a bunch of questions about how you experience life today that helps you figure out if you have childhood emotional neglect. So there's that as well. And it's free. Oh, that's,
1: that's fantastic. And I'll link to all of those in the show notes. And I think we mentioned in the beginning in your bio that you also, do you run courses for therapists as well?
0: Yes, I do. So a lot of therapists take the Fuel Up for Life program, and I have a special version for therapists therapists who have CEN also take the full program and um, that's good for 12 continuing education credits. I'm not sure how it works in Australia. That works for you guys. Yeah, we have
1: points per hours, but um, I think there needs to be, is there, there's a live component with that or that's just an online course, that part.
0: If you take the full fuel up for life program, then there is a live component, which is the Q and A calls. Okay, so for people in
1: Australia, that means that you can, I think if it's online only, you can only claim up to five points for that. But because there's a life component, you would be able to claim the full points. So that's fantastic.
0: Hmm, good to know. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, uh, I do have quite a few people from Australia in the Fuel Up for Life program. Oh, do you? So, yeah, it's really it's really nice. I like that a lot.
1: Yeah, well, there's, there's lots of uh, childhood emotional neglect here too. So <laughs> <laughs> <For> Sure. <laughs> Okay, so look, certainly anyone I know through therapy is going to get so much out of this i um, have been singing your praises for a few years now so and talking about it's very nice well it just goes to me it goes hand in hand with eating issues so which is obviously my main sort of um, niche yeah so so thank you so much for coming on the show i know um we're not going to talk about it but it is election day there so i you know when i realized the day that you booked i was like oh okay you know obviously it's a a nice relationship to get away from the TV and whatever else is going on over there. So, but
0: thank yes, you. Yes, thank you for distracting me from that. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> nice to meet you. Thank you very much. Nice to meet you too. Thanks so much. I appreciate
1: it. It was fun talking with you. This is episode 23. For the show notes, go to thesoulcenter.online forward slash soul sessions 23 childhood emotional neglect. Thanks for listening and bye for now
0: thank you for listening to the soul sessions podcast loved this episode head over
1: to itunes to subscribe rate and leave a review it's very much appreciated
0: thank you to learn more about how you can befriend your body feelings mind and soul get jody's free 65 page ebook at the soulcenter.online until next time